know, something we see today in many ways is, is the ability for society to redefine particular words. So, so like the idea of truth. So if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, you know, today truth does not have any, it's not rooted in anything. It's just whatever your truth is, is, you know, it might not be my truth, but you know, that's your truth and you can be you, let you be you and all these kind of phrases, you know, and another one is, is the, the word God as well. Kind of people have taken that word and, and, you know, many times you're having conversation with somebody about God, you know, you actually have to define terms because some would push back and say, well, don't all roads lead to heaven? Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us once again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie. He's the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And we are in our series uh, heading towards our Easter weekend. And the series is called Jesus Is. And we've been looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus. And this week we find ourselves in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so if you missed any of that uh, sermon or if any of the series so far, uh, then please, uh, whitefieldschurch.com. You can get over there and you can download it. And of course, uh, YouTube and Facebook and any of your favorite streaming platforms, you can uh, listen there. And please, if you would, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, you know, if uh, on a, a podcast app, give us a review and uh, this certainly helps just kind of boost us in the ratings. And, you know, when people are asking questions about who Jesus is, we can provide them with Christ-centered and gospel-centered answers. And so here we are. We find ourselves, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and uh, one of the interesting things about this is just the exclusivity of that particular statement. Jesus doesn't doesn't kind of, there's no wiggle room, at least, for I am a way, a truth. I am the way, the way, you know, the truth, the life. And so, you know, when we think of that statement, we kind of also think of kind of the inclusiveness of, of John 3.16. when said, God, you know, so loved the whole world. How do you think we come to this, this, you know, suddenly the path being so narrow? Well, certainly he's casting a broad net, right? Whoever or whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. And then saying, uh, and I think it's just a matter of reality, like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, right? That the way is narrow, the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, he even says, that leads to eternal life. The gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and many take that path. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that, that only though the net, though the opportunity is there, few people will take it. On the other hand, um, you know, there's this, there's this point about Jesus saying that he is the way to salvation. Here's what's, I think a lot of people don't realize this, that they assume that, um, you know, people used to be very close-minded and we have become open-minded. And that's actually not true. If you look at the Roman Empire, Christianity was considered scandalous in the Roman Empire, particularly because of its exclusivity. So the same thing that uh, throws people off today or, or causes people to struggle with this exclusive, uh, exclusive message of Christianity, it also caused people to stumble back in those days as well. And so, you know, the, in the Roman Empire, you had a plurality of people groups, uh, local religions, etc. 
And they had this kind of mantra that said, you know, we have unity in the midst of our diversity. And the one thing you weren't allowed to say was that your beliefs were exclusively true. The only people, interestingly, who were allowed to get away with that were the Jewish people. So when the Jews were absorbed into the Roman Empire, um, they were kind of allowed to, they were tolerated in that sense that they were exclusive. And that's something that's actually taken throughout the Bible, right? There's one God over all the earth. He is the God, the one true God. And it says in the Bible, you shall have no other gods. Like, I want an exclusive relationship with you. Um, and so that exclusivity of Judaism, Christianity being the full flowering of Judaism, uh, it was carried into it. But again, it was considered scandalous that Christians would go and they wouldn't just be okay with saying, this is what we believe locally in our area. But they then began to say that this isn't just what we need to believe. It's actually what everybody needs to believe and it's the only way to be saved. And so, again, that was scandalous back then, just as scandalous today. And we can see, though, that this is clearly what the New Testament believers believed. It's clearly what Jesus taught. And this is why Christianity has been a missionary movement from day one. And, um, and it's because we are taught this. It's, it's inherent to our theology. So to go against these exclusive statements and try to say that, um, you know, Jesus is a way, you know, one of many truths, it would be to contradict the clear teaching of the Bible. Yeah. And, and also, I think one of the, you know, something we see today in many ways is, is the ability for society to redefine particular words. So, so like the idea of truth. So if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, you know, today truth does not have any, it's not rooted in anything. It's just whatever your truth is, is, you know, it might not be my truth, but you know, that's your truth and you can be you, let you be you and all these kind of phrases, you know, and another one is, is the, the word God as well. Kind of people have taken that word and, and, you know, many times you have a conversation with somebody about God, you know, you actually have to define terms because some would push back and say, well, don't all roads lead to heaven? You know, they, you know, that famous, there's, that idea of the, the elephant, you know, there's 10 blind guys around the elephant, one, one Muslim, one Buddha, one Hindu, one Christian, one, and they're all touching this thing that is an elephant. And, and, you know, the Hindu guy says, well, it's a leg. And the one says it's a trunk. And, you know, of course, this is kind of the pushback. Well, what do you say to somebody, you know, in our modern culture dealing with this kind of semantics? And Yeah, I, I would say this. I think that many people in our culture, in an attempt to kind of appease everyone, they're actually not accomplishing that. In other words, their logic has not been thought through fully. Let me explain what I mean. You mentioned the parable of the blind men and the elephant. So this is a parable, and here's the gist of it. It says, uh, essentially, an elephant right, represents the truth, or let's say, God. And these blind men, they can't see that what they're looking at is an elephant. In other words, they can't see the whole picture. So what do they do? They, they are feeling in the dark, trying to feel it. Now, because it's so big, one of them feels the trunk. And he says, you know, an elephant is a snake because, you know, that's the part that he encountered. Another one says, well, an elephant is like a tree because he only touched the leg, um, you know, and, and so on. And so they would say, well, that's kind of like what it is with God, right? One culture 
has had this experience, and so they believe that God is like this. Another culture has had this experience, and they believe that God is like this. And the truth is that, that they're not wrong, but that they are only partially right, right? That they don't have the whole picture. Now, here's what's wrong with that analogy, by the way. Uh, what's wrong with the analogy is that it is given from the perspective of someone who does know the whole picture, right? As if they can see and they're patronizingly talking to the blind men and saying, oh, you poor blind men, if only you could see what I see, then you would know that you only see part of the picture, but you don't see the whole picture, which apparently I do. And therefore, you know, if you could be like me, then you would be right. In other words, what they're doing is very uh, condescending towards world religions, Right. So, for example, it would say to the Christian, well, you're you know, you you only think that you're right because you only see part of the picture. Uh, and it would say to the Hindu, you think you're right because you only see part of the picture. In other words, it puts yourself in the position of knowing more and knowing better and speaking down to other people as if they don't understand the whole thing. It also assumes that these things are all compatible. And so that, that's also a flaw because the fact is that they're not all compatible. I mean, if you really get down to the core tenets of different belief systems, um, of course, many of them are going to have similarities, but at their core, they are incompatible. And it actually is more respectful to let another person explain their beliefs to you rather than telling them, oh, I know what you believe, right? It's like this and that. No, let them explain their core tenets. And listen, it's either true or it isn't. And that's true of Christianity as well. Look, it's either true or it isn't. Don't, don't try to tell me that, oh, well, you know, it can be melded together with some other. No, no, no. Listen. The core tenets are about who is God and how to be saved. That's essentially the essence of every religion. What do you need to be saved from? Who is God? And how does God, or how can you be saved? Okay, so here's what makes Christianity unique amongst all the world religions, is that whereas other religions say, you know, they might describe it like this. I've heard this argument. We worked with refugees in the refugee camp, and they would sometimes use this. Interestingly, uh, as Muslim refugees from Afghanistan, they would say, well, you know, the way to God is like a mountain, and we're all taking different routes. Some routes are more circuitous, and other routes are more direct, and we believe that our route is more direct. But we, you know, you would say, oh, you're, you're, you'll get to God eventually too. Actually, Christianity addresses that in more than one place. But for example, in Romans chapter 10, it says, you know, it's not that you need to work your way to God or that you need to get God to, you know, come to you or whatever by your works. You're not, you're not making God or discovering God or attaining divinity. What you are doing, you're a recipient of God's actions of grace. And so the, the core difference really comes down to this. Who is God? How are you saved? And Christianity would say something which no other religion or philosophy says, which is that the way to be saved is not actually by anything that you do at all. It is the gift of God, the gracious action of God on your behalf. And so um, I think that these, you know, and it would say, we don't climb our way to God, but God has condescended to us. He has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ in order to save us. And we simply receive it. So that is 
the message of grace is what separates Christianity from every other philosophy or religion in the world. And, um, and I think that that is unique, right? And uh, is it exclusive? And is it okay that it's exclusive? That's the, the obvious question. And here's what I would say, is that every belief system is exclusive, no matter what you believe. You are, at least by default, uh, saying that what someone else believes is incorrect. And again, that's where we, we, I think, show the most honor to other people, even if we disagree with them, by saying, look, your belief is either correct or it's not. Mine's either correct or it's not. And I'm not going to condescend to tell you that you don't properly understand things. I'm just going to say, look, here's two ways of understanding things and what is the proper one. And, uh, and we can say yes or no to, mm-hmm. to those core tenets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Syria when um, I was working there and my driver and I would have conversations about this and it always would come down to, yeah, we believe in the same God. He would tell me, we believe in the same God. We just kind of disagree on that Jesus and the cross thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the whole point. <laughs> it's kind of the, the core. I will preach nothing but Christ crucified, what Paul says. And so, yeah, it does come down and that's very exclusive and it's very narrow-minded, you know, in a sense. But, you know, there's so much in our world. I was just listening the other day, just the commercial, one of those millions of, uh, you know, lawyer commercials about... Uh, about, you know, injury lawyers and, and the commercial started, there's only a thin yellow line that separates you from getting in the wreck of your life or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's very narrow-minded that mm-hmm. we have this thin yellow line that separates cars going down one side and another side. But, you know, the way people argue many times about religion is that, wow, we shouldn't have any lanes. And when I did live in Syria, there were no lanes mm-hmm. and it was absolute mess it was it was absolute chaos nobody got i'm surprised anybody lived or got anywhere in that place and so yeah just that idea of that narrowness it's it's uh you know we we live with that mindset yet we don't apply it to 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 the core tenets that you said of of christianity when jesus says i am the way the truth and the life and i just wanted to finish um you know something uh that you know this whole section kind of finishes with it says whatever you ask in my name he says truly truly in starting verse 12 of john chapter 14 i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i'm going to the father whatever you ask in my name this i will do that the father may be glorified in the son if you ask me anything in my name i will do it what is jesus trying to say here because this kind of a verse that's kind of been used by many people to kind of say, well, whatever you want in this life, Jesus is going to give it to you no matter what. But is that what he's saying here? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. And I would put it this, one of the best analogies I've ever heard about this um, is this, that with God, what we have is not a genie in a bottle, but a father in heaven. And that makes all the difference because with a genie in the bottle, if you say the magic words, He's obligated to give you what you ask for, whether it's good for you or not. Um, The genie doesn't care about you. He's giving you what you want because you said the right thing or because he's obligated to. But with God, what we have is not a genie who, you know, if we rub the lamp the right way and say the magic words, he's obligated to give us what he wants or what we want. Um, But we have a father in heaven who actually knows what is best for us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the future. He knows how all things will fit together. And he is able to 
essentially run our requests through that filter of his love for us and his knowledge of all things and give us what we, if you will, what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. And so, um, you know, doing the, the thing about Jesus' name, it's not magic words. It is simply um, praying according to his will and desires and according to his authority. So if you ask for something that's not according to his will and desires, he is not at all obligated to give it to you just because you said the magic words, right? Um, yeah. And, and so that's really what it comes down to. And of course, people have abused this and said, oh, you know, if you say in Jesus' name, then he's obligated to give it to you. But obviously not everybody gets what they want in life. And so what people tend to do is they tend to come up with, uh, I saw one guy, uh, this is in Hungary. He was, you know, one of these people who believes this kind of stuff. And he says, well, if this is what the Bible says, then that means that if you don't get what you asked for in prayer, that it is the one of these like seven or eight reasons. And of course it was, you didn't uh, have enough faith. You didn't pray enough. You have secret sin in your life. Um, you know, someone else has secret sin in your life who lives in your house or something like that, right? Or uh, he gave all these things. And then the very last one was, or, you know, it's just not God's will. Well, okay. Uh, maybe we should start with that one. I yeah. don't know. And uh, yeah, I, I think that people can um, yeah, misinterpret what Jesus is saying there and it leads to some bad practice in some cases. Yeah, and, and I like the idea that God puts it through the filter of his omniscience <laughs> and his sovereignty. And I think it's very helpful to us to put it through the filter of seek first his kingdom. Mm. And these things will be added into you. Because when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, many times our priorities have changed. When we, we, you know, we understand what the kingdom of God is about, you know, and we delight ourselves in the Lord and that he'll give us the, you know, the, the things of our heart and the desires of our heart. You know, when we, you know, that just changes our worldview when our worldview becomes God's worldview. And so. Well, and yeah. it gets this idea that um, I think many people wish that God was, someone or something that they could control. And I think that it just gets back to Psalm 84, which says God is in heaven and he does whatever he wants. Right. Right. He's, he's, um, in charge and he's not going to be manipulated or controlled by you. People want that, right? Just, you know, follow these three easy steps and then you can basically twist God's arm to do whatever you want. You can be the one in control. What we have with God is he's a free range God. He's in heaven and he does what he wants. And we can get on board with it and we can ask him for things. Mm -hmm. And um, the goal, of course, is not to get God to do our will, but for us to get on board with what God's will is. Yeah, and that reminded me of another verse. i just trying to figure out where it is. I, I want to say it's in Isaiah where it says where, where he prays, you are God in heaven, and so I let my words be few. <laughs> That's just kind of, yeah, I think I'll stick with that way. <laughs> That's a good way to go. Let, Lord, just do your do your thing. I'll let my words be few, and I'll go along with, you know, because you know what's best, you know. And uh, sometimes I wish our kids would do that too. But <laughs> So well, on that note, I'm not going to let, I'm going to let my words be few and say goodbye to you for this week. But we're at Whitefields Community Church, uh, whitefieldschurch.com. You can get the message there. And of course, coming up, our Easter services are going to be in the next couple weeks and uh, April 15th uh, and uh, Good Friday service at 5 and 6.30 if you can be there. And we're also having a Saturday fun day and then Sunday, sunrise service, 6 a.m. 
love to see you here. And then we're just going to get to celebrate the resurrection at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. And uh, we look forward to seeing you, and we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. <laughs>